oh yeah the you know you did the angelic favorite things mm, mm. i wrote a really bad demonic version oh yeah yeah, yeah 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 are we doing this before we enjoy? yes okay cool awesome um good because this is really bad and you can cut it <laughs> i mean in theory i could cut it after we did the intro music as well i'm not sure what you think the editing process is <laughs> I don't know. I don't care to know. So again, I'm going to point out I wrote this in less than five minutes mm-hmm. on my lunch break mm-hmm. while also editing a script. Okay. okay. Maggots and hellhounds and BLs are buzzing, pissing off Gabriel with Armageddon coming, a demon in a bathtub, holy water he flings. These are a few of my favourite things. Hooray! Yay, I like it. One of the benefits to being a poet is seeing how many extra syllables you can cram into a line and still pretend it scans. Yeah, poetry and hymns have that in common. Oh, fucking hymns. <laughs> and weird stress. We'll just put an accent over that. We'll put an accent in it. No, it's fuel. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, so COVID-19, how are you doing with that? Corv- I keep calling it COVID, not COVID, because that's what my phone autocorrects it to. Yeah, no, it's just making me think that 19 crows are coming and that makes me really happy. And then I remember oh. that actually it's a global pandemic. Is it a pandemic yet or is it still an epidemic? Um, I genuinely don't know the difference. So pan means everywhere, epi means spreading. I don't, I shouldn't, I should know this. Why should I know this? Epi, epi, epipen, epi, curious, epidermis, outside, hmm, epi. Answers on a postcard. Epi prefix, answers please, postcard, Uh, if you're not all dead from COVID-19. Yep. So what what kind of precautions are you taking to make sure you don't die of this global pandemic, epidemic, whatever-demic? Well, luckily I still have loads of tinned food stockpiled because of Brexit. My work might close down. Um, and, well, as a chef, you're already pretty good at washing hands. I was going to say, like, I'm washing my hands every two minutes rather than every five. My skin is super dry. Oh, yeah. No, this is the problem. At the same time that I've kind of learnt how to deal with the cirrhosis that occasionally happens on my hand, uh, I've also learned that I need to be washing my hands a shit ton more, especially as I'm a chronic face toucher. Ah, yes, the and face touching. The face touching. I don't know how to stop it, but my it's finding is... the balance between not having my knuckles crack from dryness and not dying of whatever flu it is, bat flu. Yeah. Why didn't that catch on? Bird flu did, swine flu did, bat flu. It should be Much cooler. Bat flu, bat flu. Na, 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 Well, that's probably why yeah. it would become unbearable very quickly. Yeah, no, it really would. I meant to look into, I saw the headline of uh, how COVID-19 was named and the the kind of first paragraph sounded really interesting going about how you needed to find words and syllables that weren't indicative of any particular culture or not already used, it's various things. Um, and I forgot to follow through on that. So ah, I might have that, that unsatisfying time. half fact. Hmm. So you saw Jade Adams live. I totally did. I'm really sorry because I was going to try and not talk about Buffy this week, but yeah. I can't really talk about seeing Jade Adams without talking about Buffy. Well, you already texted me saying that you'd accidentally started taking notes on Buffy instead of Mort. Accidentally yeah. in scare quotes there because I think you are trying to stealthily <laughs> change this podcast into a Buffy recap. I'm not trying to change it into a Buffy recap. I was just watching a Buffy episode while taking notes on Mort. Uh-huh. But because I was watching the episode before I listened to the Your recap. brain must be so difficult to go through. <laughs> And without, yeah, without thinking, like I started looking up an actor Mm -hmm. and writing down who he was and the name of his character and then realised that I was taking notes on the wrong bit of media that I was consuming, which is what happens if you constantly consume five pieces of media at once. Yeah. How do you, 
how do you even like I, I I'm the same in that I usually have if I'm watching telly I usually have something on the go but it'll be browsing reddit or something not no constantly need to consume way too much media at once it's mm. really bad mm-hmm. but now I don't know how to stop like I can't just sit and learn my lines so I have to be doing something while I learn my lines which means I like read through scripts to learn them while I'm also making dinner or doing the washing up last Saturday Ben had the Lost Boys round and I locked myself in the kitchen for two hours making this big elaborate tapas meal because it was the easiest way to work on learning my lines. Cool. <laughs> it was actually really good food as well. I bet it was. Oh, tapas sounds good. Well, I did like a big Spanish omelette. Well, yeah, no, I, I did a bunch of stuff. I love Spanish omelette. Oh, I'm going to make that this weekend. I haven't made it for ages. So that, this this all started because I was craving a Spanish omelette. Okay. Like, that well, makes I'll, sense. I'll do bits. I'm going to have a house full of boys and I don't want to get another takeaway. I did a roasted aubergine and rocket salad with some lemon and mint. I did some garlic prawns with parsley and chili and lemon again uh what else did i do i did this amazing like butter beans cooked really with really soft onions and anchovies well, and i could crumb. eat all of this okay. anyway yeah, it was just, that was what i did so i could learn my lines um it was really helpful i still don't know my lines anyway yeah jade adams mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um buffy the vampire Slayer has a musical episode once right. more with feeling um i love it so much it's beautiful um which season is that season six okay uh, Jade Adams, I mentioned, I think we were talking about her last week, she co-hosts this live show, A Musical, with Kiri Pratchard-McLean. Yes, Where they I get comedians have. to come Yeah, perform. I do have bookmarked somewhere. Yes, there is like an episode of it on Comedy Central and there's a podcast as well, but they don't have the songs on that. That's just comedians talking about their favourite musicals. Mm. So they co-host this live show. They decided to do a special version of it where they reenacted the whole Buffy musical episode. Excellent. It was amazing. So they, uh, like they didn't act out literally every scene. Like Jade was in the corner reading from the script for mm-hmm. a bunch of it. Um, yeah, so they had uh, Rose Masafeo, who's a really funny New Zealand comedian, as Buffy, mm-hmm. but her costume was some stuff she already had lying around. She dressed herself as Buffet the Vampire Layer from that one site gag in Friends. Oh, wow, yeah. Which she dressed as for Halloween a few years before, so she already had the outfit. Okay. Uh, Chris Addison was Giles, which was amazing. Okay. Uh, Nish Kumar as Xander. Kerry Pritchard McLean played Anya, and the, the dance bit between, there's like a whole dance break thing between the two of them is amazing. Ed Gamble played Spike with a really bad Apples and Pears Cockney accent and a Boris Johnson wig. <laughs> what I'm really gutted about is they did two nights. Originally, they put it on on this Tuesday night. It sold out, so they added the Monday. Mm. I went on the Monday. The Tuesday, Joss Whedon turned up. So if I had gone on the Tuesday night, I could have met Joss Whedon. <laughs> So yeah, do you want to do you want to introduce us or whatever? I guess like fine. <laughs> Hi everyone. Okay, Hi. No. <laughs> Sorry. I guess. Sorry, I'm very tired. Let me give me a second to get enthusiastic. <laughs> I do love what I'm doing. My fifth job. This is not a job. Yeah, no, it's not. No, it's not even a side hustle. Oh yeah, no. By I'm... the way, I hate that phrase. What side hustle? Side hustle. It makes me think of doing a really weird dance, but like only on your left hand side. Mm-hmm. Like you're just doing this or the other hand's like. <laughs> I like the What a Coincidence video. What? Wow, you can really dance. Oh, God. Wow, you can really dance. <laughs> right, and on that note... <laughs> the side hustle. Thank you for listening to The True Shot Make You Breath. <laughs> oh, I scared her away. <laughs> okay, no, no, no. No, I'll introduce us. Cool. Hi. Cool. Hi. Hi there. Hi. <laughs> Is anyone there? Hello? <laughs> Hello? welcome <laughs> oh, okay i got this i got this god you're gonna make me nearly actually finish my coffee <laughs> i haven't finished a cup of coffee in years right 
Hello and welcome to The Truth Shall Make You Fret, a podcast in which we are reading and recapping every book from Terry Pratchett's Discworld series, one at a time in chronological order. More or less. Ish. I'm Joanna Hagen-Young. And I'm Francine Carroll. And today we are on... This is the... We're back on the disc. And today we are back on the disc after (laughs) a little ineffable holiday. uh, And we are talking about Mort, the fourth Discworld novel. Part one, which... Yeah. But we're working off completely different page numbers. Are we? Yeah, I was trying to look at your stuff and they didn't match mine at all. What's going on? Like, that's where I put the break. Yeah, okay, right, we'll work that out afterwards. But so, yeah, we're working off different page numbers, sorry. So, so depending on which copy paperback edition you have. <laughs> part, we're working our way up to page 75 or 89. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, when you get to the jelly deal, stop. Yes. Or keep going. Or keep going. I'm like. not your mother. Do what you like. <laughs> read reason. You can read the whole thing at once and then do the podcasts, as Joanna does. Or you can read right up to the bit you have to and then go off and do other things like I do. I mean, I kind of did both. That's why I don't sleep. So, yeah, note on spoilers. Uh-huh. Uh, we are a spoiler light podcast. Obviously, major spoilers for the book we're on, but we will avoid spoiling any major events in future Discworld books. And we're saving any and all discussion of the final Discworld book, The Shepherd's Crown, until we get there. So, if you haven't read it yet, you can come on the journey with us. I, oh, I meant to put that spreadsheet together so we could work out what's happening when, but. We can do that another time. Yeah, that's fine. Well, yeah, not now. (laughs) Sorry, should we? (laughs) All right, listeners, let's break out Excel. (laughs) Okay, but like a bit of me would enjoy that. I love spreadsheets. I know, I know, but it's difficult to narrate. (laughs) I would make it. Oh, Joanna's clicking on column B. I see conditional formattings come into play. We're turning every nth column, brackets even, a slightly paler shade of blue. Obviously. Obviously, to make it readable. Yes. I can't think where we're going to make a pivot table fit, but we'll make it fit. We can definitely. It's been ages since I've had to do anything complicated on Excel. Nice. Like, I know what it says. <laughs> we're both in a slightly foul mood after being attacked by this microphone. Psychically attacked, I mean. I mean, I've also already had a really bad day. And also auditorially. Audit, yes. audit, auditory. Much attacking. In the ears. It's fine. You're the one who has to edit this. I know. That's why I'm looking more hysterical than you at this point, which is not usually the case. I've just reached critical mass hysterical and given up on everything. Oh, you kind of plateaued. You yeah. reached the plateau of hysteria. Yes. In which we sit down, giggle to ourselves gently, and try to forget the world's woes as we move on to the summary. Yeah, should I tell what? you what actually happened in the in this Please part do. of the book? Please do, or at least try. I'll I'll do my best. Oh, look, look up epi prefix. That seems like such a long time ago. It was a long time ago. Cool. Right. How long have we been fucking recording? Oh, just so long. It's nearly nine o'clock. Jesus. Right. Well, we better make a podcast then. Mm. Um, so we open on death in his hourglass room, looking down on a young boy running. This is Mort. Mm-hmm. Mort's father is watching his gangly ridiculous son fail at scaring birds because he's been distracted by a rock i feel like you're saying this in a more spiteful tone than you would have done an hour ago <laughs> i just love the thought of him being all knees mort's father makes the choice to take his son to a hiring fair and get him apprenticed out because he has nothing else to do with the gangly fucker death arrives stylishly at stylishly. the hiring fair whilst he trips over and says bugger in a stylish manner well yes Mort, being the last one standing, gets hired by Death, and after receiving a bit of fatherly advice, Death and Mort head to Ankh-Morpork Mort for a quick bite to eat. Death goes through a lovely little makeover montage, <laughs> and then we... Ha- I did picture that as a full montage in my head. What, uh, 
what song was in the background? Uh, I was thinking like something really ironic considering it's night in Emmett Pork and he's just been apprenticed out to death. So like Beautiful Day by The Levelers. What a beautiful day. Like don't fear the reaper. I was thinking. Oh yeah, but it would have With, to like, be friendly like friendly death. <laughs> yeah, it'd have to be like a happy ukulele cover of "Don't Fear the Reaper." Uh, can you work on that, please? Yeah, I know how to play it. Do you? It's pretty easy. Oh, I don't have a ukulele. All right, next week let's try and remember the ukulele. <laughs> okay, I'm not actually making any promises. Anyway, uh, makeover montage. Then we go to Death's house. Uh, Mort spends a little bit of time up to his knees in horseshit. Before oh my dream. god, queer eye, but Death's house. Oh my god, could you imagine <laughs> Jonathan Van Ness polishing Death's skull? <laughs> Because I can, and I love it. Me too. And Tan France trying to get him to do a French tuck on his black robes. <laughs> Karamo just stares deeply into his soul and then, I don't know, <laughs> Oh dies. my God, Death would cry. Oh my God. Oh, Death really needs the Queer Eye guys. Oh my God, Death needs we'll to We'll find be... this out later in the episode. Okay. In the in the book rather, not this one probably. I think we'll find this out with every book with Death in. Okay, okay, so Sorry, ne- next yeah. week, next week, let's try and do like a little Queer Eye sequence. Okay, fine. Okay, cool. Um... Death spends up no Mort spends some time up to his knees in horseship before uh-huh. joining Death on his rounds. Death and Mort pop to a party to kill a king, and Mort peeks at a princess. Oh, a nice alliteration! Then uh, we have a lovely little time passes. Another montage. Uh, as Mort eats, reads, sleeps, uh, probably cleans up more horseship, mm-hmm. and joins in for the duty on a regular basis. Eventually, Mort requests an afternoon off. Gets dropped in Ankh Morpork, almost get robbed, disco- robbed, and discovers the ability to walk through walls. Good effort. While Death gets a bit wistful, Mort interrupts a Clatchian family dinner and masquerades as a demon. Uh, gets sold the patrician's prize horse, makes mm-hmm. it to Stolat, chickens out of actually speaking to the princess, and instead asks Cutwell the wizard to help him figure out this embarrassing walking through walls problem. We've all been there. Um, and then Death arrives to offer him a jelly, jelly deal as we reach sunset. And, and we'll the end find of out, one. Yeah, Death wants him to do the duty for a night. Um, did you somehow spot helicopters or loincloths anyway? Not this? in this section. No, well, we're still coming down off the high from the last episode where we did spot two Helicop- helicopters, although no loincloths for quite some time now, Joanna. No, but David Tennant in a singlet and knee socks. Look, Joe. Look. <laughs> Not even slightly relevant to what we're talking about. I've run out of ice cubes. <laughs> Just David Tennant in a singlet and knee socks. This okay, is, this is the equivalent of us downing that whole bottle of tincture, like at the, <laughs> like at the very end oh, of this which section. Which did you notice the tincture that Cutwell downs at the very end of this section? Granny Weatherwax made it. Yeah, it did. Uh, because I guess Nanny Og hasn't been invented yet. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to meet Nanny Og. Sorry, oh that's a gosh, different book. Yes. So quotes. quotes, 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 quotes. Uh, shall I go first? Yes. Cool. Mort looked down at his father's face. He wanted to say a lot of things. He wanted to say how much he loved him, how worried he was. He wanted to ask his father what his father really thought he'd just seen and heard. He wanted to say that he felt as though he stepped on a molehill and found that it was really a volcano. And he wanted to ask what nuptials meant. What he actually said was, yes, thank you, I'd better be going, I'll try and write you a letter. Pretty profound one i like it i like it's just it's really sweet because it is that father and son moment where there is like so much that hasn't quite passed between them and between a father and son that think in such different directions Mm. which is why mort's father is having him apprenticed out Mm. because he doesn't know what to do with this boy that wants to read everything and is very clever and very curious about how the universe is put together in a very frightening way (laughs) what they need to do is grow things yes and so mort has this moment of I don't really know what's happening now and I know he doesn't understand what's happening now because he thinks I've gone to be apprenticed off to an undertaker. Yeah, and there's this moment where you could reach across the void 
and you don't you say yeah thanks sorry i'll write you later mm-hmm. and i just thought it was a very sweet and very beautifully written moment yes i think we've all been there with certain people uh so i picked something way less profound although i nearly picked a profound one i'm glad i didn't now <clears throat> the sound roared around them a vast gray waterfall of noise it came from the shelves where, stretching away into the infinite distance, row upon row of hourglasses poured away the sands of mortal time. It was a heavy sound, a dull sound, a sound that poured like sullen custard over the bright roly-poly pudding of the soul. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I plunged straight back into the non-poetic metaphor. Oh yeah, excellent. And another food-related one, just as all the weird sky tied to telly. Tagliatelle was last week. Oh God, I forgot about the tagliatelle. Mm. But the bright roly-poly pudding of the soul is how I shall forever think of my soul in future. Warm, squishy, bright, covered in sullen custard. I shan't, because if I had to choose between a roly-poly and custard, I'd go for the custard. I fucking hate jam roly-polies. Do you? I, f- I used to have to make them occasionally and I find it very stressful and you always end up with oh, sugar suet. Suet yeah. is quite a stressful material to oh, work it's with. The, it's the burning jam. <laughs> So obviously characters that we hang out with in this yeah, book. Yeah. Death being one of the big ones. One of them. Um, this is not just me sneaking an extra quote in, but I like this because it reminded me of when we meet him in... I can't remember now if it's Colour of Magic or Equal Rights, but I remember it was one of your favourite uh, quotes was that Swish went the stone and the mayfly and death hummed oh, the dirge. yeah, yeah, yeah. So where he's introduced here, death clicks across the black and white tiled floor on toes of bone. It had that same really yeah, nice yeah, rhythm I to nearly it. Fi- That's why I snuck it in there. That sounds, not only is that a lovely sounding sentence, but doesn't that sound like a satisfying noise to listen to? Yes, I do like the clicky noise. Mm. But yeah, it's quite interesting to hang out with death in this book because obviously we talked about uh, the death in the first two not really being our death that we care yeah. about. And while it was kind of stuttering along there, it's like he's now sprung fully formed. Like, yeah. this is death now through the whole book. This is the Discworld death. He's here. It's like Terry Pratchett was like, ah, here he is. Yeah. And he's such a fully formed character. And uh-huh. like, obviously, I don't think it's a spoiler to say we come back to him again. We talked about the fact that he's got a yeah. whole story arc. Death is, of course, eternal. Well, also that. Yeah. It's not like he's going to get killed off. We'll get to that. <gasps> da, da, da. Right. Uh, next up, we meet Mort. Um, like Who is just great. He's a really good character. Yeah, I remembered not liking this book much. Really? Yeah, and I think I've mixed it up in my head with Eric. Oh, I could I see that. I think I like, pasted Eric into some of Mort's things because Mort hasn't annoyed me at all during the first part of this book. I mean, like, he's a bit of a dickhead teenager, but you well, know, yeah, but... we know dickhead teenagers. Yeah, no, that's why I work with dickhead teenagers. Yeah, we were them. Oh, God, yeah, no. Maybe I that's why to... I didn't I used to like it as much. Maybe because he's a bit too, too familiar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like the changes he goes through in the book because it's quite an interesting... Yeah. It's not like a metaphor, but, you know, he goes through a very his, his own very personal brand of puberty hell here. Yeah, and he's already got less elbows by the end of this section. Yeah. And yeah. some of it, I think, is being taken out of his environment and into an environment where he can grow into himself. Mm. He always had that p- ability to stand with less elbow and knees yeah. up to his eyeballs. <laughs> but now he's been given responsibility and literal space to grow. Like, he's yeah. in his cavernous... Yeah, it's like he's like a... Um, the clenched root ball repotted. Yeah. Ooh, God, nice. get me with the metaphor today. But I do, um, something I found interesting is the fact, you know, death picks Mort before Mort grows into himself. Mm-hmm. Death 
kind of decides on more from watching over him. Yeah. Now some potential. of this, yeah, some of this is obviously death exists outside time, and in theory could know how everything was going to go. But I don't mm. really think it's that because I don't like thinking about time travel. No, that hurts my brain. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think some of it is that because of the more way, because of the way Mort thinks, he has this potential in him. Yeah. Because he wants to know how to take the universe apart and put it back together again it gives him the potential to be open-minded enough to apprentice for the Grim Reaper. Yeah. So I just, I thought that was cool. Yeah, absolutely. I also like it that we've got a protagonist and he's an awkward, gangly teenage protagonist in a comedy book that's not just useless. Yeah. Like, he's funny, but he's not just being played for laughs. He's got depth to him. Yeah, like, Rincewind... I arguably starts yeah. off as being a bit useless and, and he's more comedy than anything else. Useless I would say and... I would say Rincewind never gains the depth that Mort has. Yeah, and Mort gets Mort gets this in one book. He yeah. gets to become this whole fully fledged human being. Yeah. And from a teenager. Yeah. I like the the kind of way Pratchett demonstrates his personality by saying that basically he's the type of person who has to think about how to scare birds away. Yeah, like <laughs> I think that sums up so <laughs> much just in like a single them. sentence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, we've got Mort's father, Lezek, which I don't really think I have anything else interesting to say about him. Oh, he's just pretty normal. Discworld father. Yeah. Um, who else do we have? Isabel um, is next. Isabel. Yeah, I don't know how to feel about Isabel. <sighs> I think i'm gonna i'm gonna like check back in on these characters as we do part two and three as well because obviously they grow so much yeah i mean so so far i've not loved some of the description like i feel like pratchett kind of plays up the i need to describe how unattractive all these women are part like yeah both for kelly and isabel yeah it's something pratchett doesn't Oh no, he does really well in native books, but it's weird here where the size is such a focus. Yeah, he sort of points out that Kelly's too skinny, but within pages is talking about the fact that Isabel has a slight suggestion of too many chocolates. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, um, what I did like was the description of how uh, some hair streams naturally and some hair just hasn't got it, kind of thing. Yeah, speaking of someone who does not have naturally streaming yeah. hair. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, she's a bit one-dimensional right now. She's just yeah. the bitch. Yeah. it's And again, she gets to go through a whole good growth thing in the book. Yeah. But I like looking at how Pratchett writes women because it develops so much. But where, obviously, we just did Equal Rights before we did Good Omens. Yeah. And Equal Rights had Esk as such a fully formed... Obviously, she's not a teenager. She's a very young girl. Yeah. Um. But it was so insightful as to what it is to be that age girl. And I feel like he doesn't quite hit the mark as well with Isabel. Which is because she's a harder character to write because 16-year-old girls are terrifying and unknowable. Yeah, and all very different. Yeah. like I think there's something similar about a lot of little kids. that. <laughs> but I think rather than trying, he sort of slips back into, well, this is what I need her to be for the story. Which yeah. is, I need her to be grumpy with Mort now and I need her to be aggressively... Like, he writes aggressively competent women very well. Isabel yeah, and Kay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and I literally haven't read to the end of this book for quite some time, so when we check back in with her, I may be yeah, that's happier fair. with her character development. But like for I now, said, I'm like, eh. 
her 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 arc is interesting, mm-hmm. but I still think she could be a bit of a deeper character. Uh, and then right after Isabel, we 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 meet Albert. But I like Albert. I like grumpy old man who with a chip pan f- full of fat that's yeah. been there for a year. Do we get his backstory in this book? Yeah, we get a whole okay, bunch cool, of it. Cool, cool. Yeah. So yeah, so we will by the end of the book have Albert's full black backstory. But I like the hint at it. I love a good bit of foreshadowing. Mm. But Mort's um, waiting for death to get himself sorted. And Albert's there. And Mort's kind of speculating on their relationship. Because Albert didn't, doesn't really seem like a servant. He seems to sort of... Yeah, he's very irreverent. And... Yeah. Um, but when, sorry, there's a really good line about it. So it, he's sort of thinking about the fact that him and Albert have content to just get on with each other now um and everything's been said to Mort, it was rather like going for a walk after a really bad thunderstorm everything was quite fresh nothing was particularly unpleasant but there was the sense of vast energies just expended yeah absolutely i loved that but it was um i don't know how he thinks of all these fucking things he's a really good writer isn't he yeah no it was quite good but yeah so i i really liked that hint of because obviously then we get the backstory between Albert and Death and why they have the relationship that they have. Yeah, although I think we never get the explicit like flashbacks to the blow-up that must have happened, like the huge arguments, the tumultuous... No, yeah. I think as the books go on, we'll get more... It gets fleshed out a little. Yeah, but I think always there's that kind of abstraction around it, which I think is good, because you're never going to really be able to write that thunderstorm. No, you can't. And I, Yeah, but I, I like... It starts there... Yeah, and it that's what sparks Mort's curiosity. Yeah, and you can see that affecting his decisions later in the book, where he starts trying to find Albert's backstory, and, and it's because he needs Albert's help with something. But it's almost like, oh, everything that's going on is an excuse because I've just been curious about this. It's been bugging me for a while. Yeah, absolutely, that's definitely happening. <laughs> like a pearl forming around a piece of grit, which will be an amazing foreshadowy metaphor for Patrick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, where are we? Binky. 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 Literally, there's like nothing interesting I can say. I just love this fucking horse. Binky is like extra horse. Yeah. Like he's so, so good at being a horse. I wonder, do they ever say where he gets Binky? No, he just exists. Um, He's not created by death, is he? No, no, because they must have like some fantastic horse breeder somewhere. Yeah. Like in the middle of nowhere. Probably somewhere on the Cabbage Plains. Or Death, like, adopted Binky a bit like Isabel and has raised him from a foal. Oh. Oh. Montage. Death Montage. feeding a little foal from a bottle. Oh my god, could you imagine, like, Death like, with a tiny little foal and Binky learning to... Okay, right, now we've got to stop. Little happy twinkle me. Oh, I'm... Yeah. I'm right. definitely going to cry at this movie when we make it. Okay, when are we When are we doing this? Oh, I don't know. Uh, when we've got a bit more free time, probably, and... The okay. budget and uh, so the ne- talent and next expertise. decade. Yeah. Next decade, 2030. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. cool. Yeah. Cool, cool. Sweet. <laughs> I'll put it in the diary. <laughs> uh, okay, so less cute character that we meet. This is not a lovely horse. This is the Duke of Stowhelet. Not a lovely horse, but all right for a king. No, wait, no. no. The other one. Boo. Yeah, no, the Duke who likes to poison people. Yeah, sorry, my bad. Bit yeah. of a dick. We've not got the king down here. Well, we don't really spend a lot of time with him. I mean, we show up, he dies. He's not even really named. But he's got a nice beard and the kind of face you'd buy a horse off of. Well, so one of the things I was going to say about the king and Mm -hmm. about the duke, actually, is that their relationship is very similar to another king-duke relationship, like two, three books from now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Weird Sisters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, no, but just 
no major spoilers. They're just very similar characters to another couple of characters we'll get in a couple of yeah. books. This is kind of like the non troublesome version of the Grand Vizier stereotype, isn't it? Grand Vizier. The, yeah. Grand Vizier stereotype. Yeah, the wicked duke. Yeah, yeah. Who's whereas the the good king I mean good is probably a strong yeah. term for the king. It's like uh the the blurred history of uh the Oh fuck me, Richard the Lionheart and his brother. Do you mean Richard the Lionheart or do you mean Richard the Third? I mean Richard who did the Crusades and oh, okay, no, that is one. in Robin Hood as a lion. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know that one. Yeah. Sorry. I was thinking evil Richard III. No, 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 no. Good Richard. Yes. And his evil evil brother, but possibly, you know, it wasn't that black and white, obviously. Never yeah, is. Yeah. Never was. Uh, but God, history's weird. Mm. Love history. But yeah, that fell into that story template quite nicely. Yeah. So you have this noble beardy king and then the skinny mm-hmm. goatee, suspicious goatee. With the lizard smile. He said he had a lizard smile. I like that. Yes. Lizard smile and likes killing people. Uh-huh. Um. Which is, there's no justice. We all know a duke like that. Uh, do we? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the king gets the sword. I like that the king's quite good-natured about being killed, though. Just yeah, like, I mean, I guess if you live in that kind of kingdom, you've just kind of come to terms with it. Yeah, it's kind of a, oh, well, good on him, I suppose. Crossbow, eh? Nice and clean. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Can't eat enough antidotes to get rid of a crossbow vault, can you? Uh, <laughs> I should have seen it coming. <laughs> oh, well, where now? Where are we off to? And we don't know. No. Because, no. well, we wouldn't know anyway, but the Black Desert, which we will meet later on in other books, has not yes. yet existed. So this guy kind of winks out of existence. But the general afterlife theory is a bit kind of whatever someone fancies to a certain extent. Yeah, whatever someone believes, certainly. Yes. We will talk about the power of belief. Because yes. it's my favourite Pratchett theme. Uh, so we kind of meet Kelly. Mm-hmm princess slash queen yeah. but she's not named in this section and she doesn't really do anything interesting apart from there is very good angry flounce yeah there's a really good line about her um not the bit where she's described um i like that mort sees her and it's like this kind of implied romance love at first sight but in a very teenagery just like no oh, no straight to the groin yeah and the stomach yeah do you remember that kind of teenage crush oh, where it God. just literally hurt your stomach yeah that you'd just be in pain constantly. What the hell? Well, you look at that MSN Messenger away message. Yeah. <laughs> God, I don't miss being a Oh, the little heart flutter when they come online. Oh my God. You're like, okay, okay, okay. How do I make the most of me without talking to them first, right? I'm going to change my screen name lyrics. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so I've got to do like, I've got to seem deep, but like, not emo. Like, quite cool, but deep. Okay, right. Um. Yeah, no, talking about Princess Kelly, Queen yeah. Kelly. She was uh, two older women were endeavouring to comfort the princess, but she was striding ahead of them so that they bounced along behind her like a couple of fussy balloons. <laughs> um, and then you know, death approves of her because death likes style. Yeah, I like that little. I'm still already a queen. Yes, I like the little nusses about death, mm. the little things he appreciates, mm-hmm. um, the sort of little flares, and he likes a bit of a style and a like... bit of a coat swish. And yeah, a... some yeah. cats. Yeah, he has a certain certain streak of practice in there isn't there oh definitely but there's also the way he's kind of rebuilt from the ground up as a character in this book without any big descriptive moments it's all little things yeah it's all definitely show don't tell yes and this is a really good example of show don't tell yeah Um, it's done in lots of little bits over an entire book yes which is how you meant to do it not giant exposition dumps as you know bob we also meet cartwell 
Cutwell, the useless wizard of book four. Yes. Igneous Cutwell, holder of the eight keys, traveller in the dungeon dimension, supreme mage of, excuse me, are you really? Working on a thing called advertising. Ah, advertising. Speaking of advertising, Francine. Do you love cabbage but crave a bit more variety? Cabbage Companion is a weekly cabbage discovery delivered right to your doorstep. Now, regular listeners of the show will know that I'm not exactly adventurous with my brassica consumption, but Cabbage Companion has made trying new cabbage varieties so easy that even I'm converted. Taking advantage of the age of steam, the Ankmore Pork and Stowhallet Cabbage Growers Associations deliver a cabbage to your door every week, and every week it's something new. As our sponsor, Cabbage Companion were kind enough to give me a month's trial, and it's been a journey. The old favourite, Morning Glory, was barely rotted by the time it reached me. And I've had a chance to try more unusual cabbages, like the Paracious Sprouter, and I've nearly recovered from the wounds dealt by last week's Spring Pouncer. For 10% off your first three cabbages, send a clax to Cabbage Companion with the code FRET10. That's FRET10 for 10% off your first three cabbages. Thanks to Cabbage Companion for sponsoring The Truth Shall Make You Fret and all the cabbage-friendly podcasts. I won't say a bunch about Cutwell here because we don't really hang out with him much until we get on to part two and three. No, but I think it is a really nice introduction. I think it sums up everything you need to know about him. Yeah. The fact that he's very easily distracted. He doesn't have a beard. Um, Unusually. He's good. It, it establishes his youth very well. And his desire to have gravitas even through his youth. And yes. He wants to... He his wants lack to of actual gravitas. qualifications is... <laughs> Bless him. He's a very sweet wizard. I do have a bit of a soft spot for him. He is. I like him a lot. And he's, he's just sort of, trying to make his way in the world. He's that fun thing because he's kind of written to be in like his early 20s. Like mm-hmm. he's almost just graduated. Yeah. But because Mort's a teenager, mm-hmm. you know how people in their early 20s have that epic superiority over Absolutely, teenagers. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. That he's very smug about, oh, you like a girl. <laughs> that like, he's not going to be great. Yeah, he's a either. wizard. <laughs> yeah, he's a wizard. Like they have their own issues with women. <laughs> God, wizards have a lot of issues with women. All right, so we'll come back to Cutwell properly next episode then. Yeah. Um, so you've added a new little section called locations, which I like because we're now coming to the age of re- repeating locations. Well, that was kind of why I added it. I mean, I could say something horribly wanky about, oh, Ank Morpork, the city is a character in herself, but I don't hate myself, so I'm not going to do that. That's a really good idea not to do that. Well yeah, done, cool. I didn't note a couple of pages down, but there was just little, I like we're kind of hanging around the ram tops and the idea that it's an area of wild magic everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Because, and yeah, part of the reason we're doing the locations thing is there are spaces that the books come back to. I think this is a really good Discworld book, book for seeing what the whole series is going to become. It's def- it is definitely the the starting block, isn't it? Of- yeah, like Equal Rights is kind of builds on it so much because it's the first one that's not about Rincewind. Yeah, yeah. But it's still the wizards in Ankh-Morpork and the university. Mm-hmm. This gets away from Ankh-Morpork for a bit. It gets away from the university. Um it lets the whole world expand and breathe and it's almost the bit like you can see him going oh wait hang on i can do loads with this yeah yeah i don't need just that one city and he does build some of the backdrops that are gonna come up in yeah and it really is and... it's very important isn't it like going going forward um which part of the world each story set in because it really makes a difference whether you're in the ram tops or ankh Morpork. not just obviously because you're in a village or a city but how the magic is going to work um, yeah, because in what you're going to get murdered for? Yes. Uh, <laughs> what kind of animal is likely to eat you? Mm-hmm. Uh, I also like the the town sheep ridge that we go to, where the hiring fair is. Is yeah, 
another one of those weird small towns that's like an inn and a well and it's yeah. really similar to badass in um yeah yeah slightly bigger perhaps possibly slightly yeah. more cosmopolitan it's got an actual got... square <laughs> well yes um but that idea of these towns almost springing up out of embarrassment so there's not a big empty space on a map yeah yeah <laughs> which i think is a quote from a later book uh yeah i was on my way back from telford day before yesterday and making notes of some of my favorite place names along the way and it did remind me very much of pratchett i um, love ridiculous actually, you know, let me just bring bring up my little list so i've got my phone here which i probably shouldn't have but there you go because I, I was a passenger so i was just looking at the sat nav so i've got mucklestone loggerheads much wenlock western under lizard little ness felton butler uh what have we got here acton trussell scropton eggington Hanging Houghton. Oh, wait, no. Now I want to make this a regular feature on the podcast. Stow Longer. Snailwell. Cold Ashby. Doesn't all that sound very Stow Plains? I feel like I want to make this a regular thing on the podcast where every week we read out like three real ones and one made up one. Oh, and, and see if you can guess. have to guess which one is made up. Oh, that sounds really fun. Yeah, let's try and remember to do that next week. Okay, okay. cool. Okay. We won't do it now, we will do it No, because I'd have week. to make one up from there. That would be pretty obvious as I stuttered my way through the last one. Okay, so... <laughs> We spend some more time in Ankh-Morpork and we get a bit of Ankh-Morpork outside of the... We don't go to the university at all. This is the first one where we don't go oh, to yeah, the university. Yeah. We do hang out with a wizard and he <laughs> mentions it, but we don't spend any time there. But Have we get... you got the very unpoetic metaphor I've got the amazing... Okay, brilliant. Can I yeah. read it out? Yeah, please do. Awesome. Um, Ankh-Morpork is as full of life as an old cheese on a hot day, as loud as a curse in a cathedral as bright as an oil slick, as colourful as a bruise, and as full of activity, industry, bustle, and sheer exuberant busyness as a dead dog on a termite mound. Beautiful. I don't think any description of a city could be better. Certainly, it would be hard pushed to be more graphic. Definitely not. <laughs> but it's great. I like spending time in Ankh-Morpork outside of the university we get to sort of mm. go for a curry and see how some <laughs> normal people live in the clothes shops and then <laughs> you sound like you're explaining a tour guide a tour you went on or <laughs> yeah, all right fair enough i could murder a curry right now to be fair yeah i could as well <sighs> not just in a clever i'm death saying this line oh, i'm wondering I'm really what hungry. i've got in the cupboards i can knock off a curry out of um... i'll probably do a quick doll Ooh, I've got lentils and spice mixes. I've got lentils and spice mixes and coconut. Nice. Oh my. Sorry. Uh, so the big location, again, we've been here before, but Death's Domain. Yes. Yeah. We actually get All to the hang out black. in. Um, Which reminded me of um, Parks and Rec, the bit where Tommy is laughing at Leslie for not being, or Ben or someone for not being able to tell the difference between the different shades of black. Yeah. This is Midnight and Raven and whatever. I was like, yes, you need to be the interior designer in Death's Domain. Oh my God. Okay. But again, we're talking about the queer eye thing. And could you imagine Bobby in Death's house, like just yeah. trying to get him to do little splashes of colour? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about like, like here? No. Okay. But perhaps we could like a really deep aubergine alongside these black notes. What about, okay, so we get that you like the skull and crossbones thing, but mm -hmm, it's a little mm -hmm. teenager. So what we've done is we kind of take them out and we've just put like a couple of big ones here and a yeah. kind of stylized. bust, you know, yeah. it's like a grown up version. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, that's domain. Excellent. Uh, I'm glad we get to hang out in it. I like that this is like a consistent th thing. I don't think it's a big spoiler to say that like we come here again and it is always kind of 
everything is black and there's skull and crossbones everywhere. Yeah, and death creates it and Mort is kind of had a, has a confusing moment of death made this. And then you get to just think about death trying making to make this. Yeah. And he can't, he can copy because he doesn't have the imagination yeah. to create. Yeah. Which is another really nice little foreshadowing moment where that's explained and mm. that becomes something that hooks on with Mort and why Mort should not become the Grim Reaper. It's yeah, that yeah. memory of being human yeah. and being able to create. Yeah. Um, the way the whole book talks about imagination and belief is just ah uh, it's quite a good book yeah it is a good book I mean, i'm really pleased i'm good. liking it more than i thought i would i it's such a weird one for me like i was i'm not gonna ever say anything negative about it because i get rocks thrown at my head but i don't remember this being one of my favorites but i, I because i know it's a favorite of so many friends of mine and i know it's one so many people recommend starting with i was mm. like is it have i missed something i'm reading it this time it's like oh wait now i'm looking for the depth in it it is all there i've just yeah skimmed over it before and especially if you imagine it as your first foray into the disc world oh then it's a great book yeah um and it yeah it really is a good introduction to a lot of it okay so little things we liked yeah it's very sweet that it's uh there's a really silly i don't know if your copy has this but mine the author bio is uh very funny uh no mine doesn't you go okay Terry Pratchett is, on average, a sort of youngish middle-aged. He lives in Somerset with his wife and daughter and long ago chose journalism as a career because it was indoor work with no heavy lifting. Beyond that, he positively refuses to be drawn. People never read these biographies anyway, do they? They want to get on with the book, not wade through masses of prose designed to suggest that the author is really a very interesting person. So look, okay, he wrote these other books. Um, Blah, blah, blah. The last three were also about the Discworld and actually a lot of people quite like them. See, I don't know, they've edited it way down for this later edition, which is uh, Terry Pratchett's one of the most popular authors writing today. He lives behind a keyboard in Wiltshire and says he doesn't want to get a life because it feels as though he's trying to lead three already. He was appointed an OBE in 1998. Mort is the fourth novel in his phenomenally successful Discworld series. So they've done they've done what he was complaining about there. I think they should have stu- stuck to him rambling for two paragraphs, frankly. Which makes me think this is a re- like, obviously, this is a very early release. That made me laugh. And also I thought it was very sweet that it's it's uh, dedicated to Rihanna, his daughter. Yeah. Uh, because also just, it's just a little Pratchett. in at the side. Yeah. And is now like the coolest. She is so cool. And she writes on cool games. She's cool. She's so cool. She's really cool. I want to be friends with her. Friend crush. Yep. Platonic crush. We come back to talking about reannuals. Oh, that's pretty early. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Mort's family grow reannuals, which are yeah. wines that come up after grapes before that come you've up planted before them. you've planted them. <laughs> Uh, which were, I think it was like the first book, Tethys. They've got some like reannual wine or something. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's cool that they come up again and it's just a little like detail he put into the world and he's remembered it and used it again. Yeah, and he brings up like similar things in the future. It's just clearly something that tickles him because it's not very important to anything. No. Um, it's just a little idea he likes. Uh, what was your up? Sorry, oh, sure. I've given up on segues. I'm so tired. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I liked it not long after he's got there. He's clearing out the stables from Muck. And it's kind of reminiscent of a bit of a trope where you get the apprentice to do some boring, menial task and it teaches them a, a, a lesson about the importance of uh, hard work or uh, vision or. Oh, fuck me. Like he says a few of them, doesn't he? And why do you think I directed you to the stables? Think carefully now. Mort hesitated. He had been thinking carefully in between counting wheelbarrows. 
He'd wondered if it had been to coordinate his hand nigh or teach him the habit of obedience or bring home to him the importance on the human scale of small tasks or to make him realise that even great men must start at the bottom. And that's all reminiscent of um, like those martial arts movies, what's it called? The Karate Kid, I think, yeah, had yeah. one of those. And it's just a trope. It happens in a lot of things. But none of those exclamations seemed exactly right. I think he began, yes. Well, I think it was because you were up to your knees in horse shit, to tell you the truth. <laughs> Absolutely correct. Snap death. <laughs> I love Mort's practicality yeah. in that. Yeah, it's just the practical. And it's Occam's razor. It's... I mean, if you want to get wanky about something that's tried very hard not to be wanky, you could say it's a lesson about how you should probably just look at something straight on instead of trying to fucking wind your way around it in a clever way. Yeah. Which um, this brings me to a point I was going to make later, but... Um... When he's actually doing the horseshit thing, mm -hmm. he's talking about um, this sort of thing of, okay, I've done a quarter, let's call it a third, so that'll be five-eighths, which is more wheelbarrow loads. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't prove anything much except that the awesome splendour of the universe is much easier to deal with if you think of it as a series of small chunks. Yeah. So despite that, there is a lesson in there. Yeah. And it's something I find I have to do a lot of really, like, tiny, dull, repetitive jobs. Yeah. Like, if you ice five cakes, your brain will switch off. If you have I'm to sure. portion three kilos of cooked rice down into six-ounce bags, your brain will shut right down. <laughs> like, th this is a huge part of what my job is. And, God, your brain does really good things, though. Yeah? Yeah, like, you start figuring out, okay, so five bags of rice was that much out of this massive tray of rice, therefore there's that much, and you start trying to extrapolate, like, how much it'll take. Um, and that's how you start learning things like, okay, X amount of bu buttercream will cover x area cake yeah and, and that's how you get chefs like you who can just make the right amount of buttercream without like measuring out every tiny bit yeah but it also means you get chefs who can do an entire lunch service while also planning exactly how the prep is going to run for the rest of the afternoon what order you're going to do it in yeah. when you're going to take a break and what how much pepsi do you need to order from bid food uh-huh cool um this is why I have to have the TV on while reading a book and also, yeah. Oh, I see. Multiple inputs. Yeah, you've just, you've overtrained your brain. Yes. It's like so those it's... athletes who can't settle down until they've gone for a run. Yeah, a bit like that. This makes me sound like I'm talking about myself like I'm a really intelligent wanker. I'm not really that intelligent. My brain just does a bunch. She, I mean, I am she very is, she okay. is intelligent. I'm also very intelligent, but not because of this. <laughs> this just means my brain is like, does stuff. It's not smooth. I don't have a smooth brain. I don't think a smooth brain is a sign of intelligence, Joe. No, I know it was something stupid. God, I think that was fucking due by Friday. <laughs> We're a bit philosophical, though. We're talking about meditation. I want oh. to talk about philosophy and volivants. <laughs> philosophy and volivants. I just wanted to say the word. My favourite. My favourite A level. <laughs> uh, been better than philosophy and ethics. It's when they're at the party. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the murder key, party. Murder party popped into a party to kill a king um <laughs> i like it when death is just frustrated about something incredibly mundane that humans do yeah because he has watched all of human existence like he can and he is so eternal yeah but fucking why like you have such limited time and then this is great you're all dying of the plague and you're looking at the salmon and the <laughs> Is why are you mincing these things up and putting them in little pastry cases? And again, talking about yeah. dull, repetitive kitchen jobs, I have a buffet mm. coming up. I have, I am gonna have to make oh. like fifty fucking blinis. Oh, I'm sorry. And I fucking hate making blinis. Oh, I really want something in puff pastry right now, though, Joe. Uh, that's why I always keep some emergency puff pastry in my freezer. Oh, you're so smart. 
Also, like, it's not that hard to make if you've got flour and butter. Come the pandemic-caused apocalypse, I'm coming to your house. I'll bring cans of beans or whatever, but pastry, like, please. Yeah, no, that's cool. Also, like, I've always got flour and yeast, and I'm getting a lot better at making bread. Yeah, me too. Hey. Oh, we'll do some bread. Oh, that'd be nice. Oh, we'll, we'll have an apocalypse, and we'll do some bread. We'll make some bread, and we'll, like, have some dips. Yeah, we'll just, like... <laughs> I've know, got like chickpeas. Some... We can make dal. Oh, it'll be really nice. We'll, we'll do some do little apocalypse lots bites. Of, yeah, lots of, <laughs> lots of things, darling. Lots mm-hmm, of lovely mm-hmm, little things. Lots mm-hmm. of little bits, and then we'll die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well fed. <laughs> okay, cool. Sorry. Um, like with the coronavirus we really do have to nail these plans down even if it's live on the mm-hmm. mic uh so yeah so i just i love death's philosophy around like putting a cherry in a drink making uh volivants and he talks about how humans have uh they've only got a few years in this world they spend them all making things complicated for themselves yeah and if there was anything that fucking summed that up it's a fucking chicken and mushroom volivant do you ever get those moments just sit where that kind of hits you though, when you've been stressing about something big in your life as it is, but so small in your life as a whole and so small when you look outside your own life. One of the things I do when I'm trying to gain perspective is think about how I would explain it to someone 500 years ago. Ooh. Like, because one of my jobs is doing social media stuff, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't know if you've noticed, I've been really lax with the podcast because I've been busy. Well, I haven't noticed because I'm even more laxer. Okay, even cool. more laxer. Hi guys, if you tweet us, we are there. We're just tired. We're not there. I, I am there. I just, are you? I still have the app. Okay. Right. No, I do, I do still check stuff. I've not been that bad. I just haven't tweeted anything. That's fine. Anyway. Just leave like a stick a note under the door or the Twitter equivalent, and we'll get to it. We will. Um, if God, the post it? piles up too much, do you do you think the milkman will call somebody? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Don't make me laugh. Before we start to smell. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Right, sorry, moving on from our <laughs> metaphorical deaths, which, how have we... Oh, yeah, apocalypse. <laughs> the point is, so, like, one of my... It wasn't even the apocalypse. <laughs> we were just, just... talking about volivants. <laughs> I simultaneously hate volivants and really want a fucking volivant right now. It's oh, like love, Schro- hate, pastry relationship. Schrodinger's canopy. <laughs> um, yeah, so when I'm, like, stressed and my job is making me miserable, I think about... um how I would explain it to someone 500 years ago. So Mm -hmm. one of my jobs is social media. And I just think if I tried to explain to someone in like the Tudor era Mm -hmm. that I'm really, really stressed because I put an arrow in the wrong place on a newsletter and like it's not life or death or I forgot to email off an invoice. Like you do, you know, when you get a task. Oh shit, I literally have forgotten to do that today. Sorry, Sorry, I'm breaking that my hand. No, that's cool. I need to do that. No, I I have forgotten to do one and it's now five days late, which like is fine. Whenever I send it, the dude will just pay me. It's a very chilled relationship. Yeah. But I've built it up into my brain now with something I can't do. Oh no, do you want me to do it for you? No, it's fine. I'll do it. I I will do it. Okay. I'll text you later when I do mine. I have a morning tomorrow for little admin jobs. Okay. Little admin morning. Oh, it's not nearly as fun as little plates. Well, no, but it's less washing up. Another thing I do is like, not so much like jobs I haven't done or whatever, but if something's happened and it feels really bad, I'm like, you're you're like obsessing over it and overthinking of it and you know you are. Mm -hmm. I try and imagine like, in five years, is this even a pub story? Oh, that's a good one, actually. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, and if I will... it is, then make the pub story, and that's fun. Yeah. And if it isn't, like, okay, this isn't even worth a fucking pub story, never mind. Yeah, because I, I will obsess over tiny things that happened five years ago. Yeah. But in five years, would it make a good pub story is a yeah. really good benchmark for should I obsess over it. Which is cool. Now I can write off, like, five things that have been lurking in my brain. And then, of course, there's always the... 
just remember that you're standing on a planet that's evolving and sorry yeah um, hmm. let's talk about death getting grumpy yeah i i, I just thought it was quite funny that death is all Why grumpy, you about, <laughs> grumpy about more, wanting an afternoon off like i'm gonna be reasonable and give him an afternoon off but i don't see why he needs an afternoon off have i not looked after him doesn't he have clothes i mean fine fine go and have an afternoon off it's like yeah. super passive aggressive partner kind of stuff and your own time too. Is there anything else I may be able to assist you with before you leave for this debauch? Throughout all the books, Death's voice is all, always very tombstones and I can and only really hear it as Christopher Lee. Yeah. yeah. And then saying like, and in your own time too, he added sourly and just trying to imagine this clanging, this... sonorous voice being sour about somebody leaving. Like if he had lips, he'd sort of yeah. pout a little yeah, bit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, pouty death. Oh, pouty death. That was funny. And then uh, a little later when we've met the robbers. Oh, yes. No. I... It's a, like it's a, a, a proto, uh, what's it, pin and tulip. Pin and tulip. Um, but people who don't quite swear but they pronounce effortlessly pronouncing a row of dashes as Patrick puts it well me he said uh, ing wizard I hate ing wizards you shouldn't them then <laughs> uh, yeah so those are my little bits that I rather like and I don't have anything more to say about them I just like them they're okay. little bits what are you going to do about it fight me sorry uh, talking points talking points I mean we're talking about hiring fairs yes um, which are a cool thing. They're a cool thing. So this comes up right at the beginning of the book. This is how Death hires Mort. Mm. Hiring Fair. Um, and this has its roots in reality. Uh, probably across other parts of the world, but England is the bit I was able to look into. Yeah. Uh, they were introduced by Edward III as part of regulating the labour market after the Black Death. Which killed like thirty to forty percent of the population. Ah. Which fucks your labour market a bit. Turns a out. Bit. Turns out. Uh, they're also called mop fairs because several different possible reasons. But I quite like the idea that the little talismans, uh, or tassels, as they're also known. So the bit of wool, or the uh, bit of straw that oh, Pratchett right. kind of described the different uh, trades as having yeah, into yeah. them. Uh, were called either tassels or mops. Oh, hence mop fairs. Yeah, or possibly it's because non-skilled servants would carry a mop head instead of anything else. Ah, oh, fair enough. Uh, to like say, like, I can clean, I can mop. Yeah, I can do something. But I like the idea of these little tassels called mops. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what I didn't know at all was uh, some British towns still hold them. Really? But not really. They're kind of themed fun fairs. Oh, right. It's like Tewkesbury holds one which is a fun fair uh which is organized by the showman's guild of great britain which i never heard of and don't have time looking properly right now but it kind of sounds like a union for like traveling showmen oh that's really cool which looks fucking amazing so we need to look into that yeah we definitely uh, do yeah. Uh, so yeah i basically thought I, I i was charmed by the idea of a hiring fair and looked it up and was pleased to find that Pratchett did pretty much based fa- this faithfully based this off something pretty yeah. cool in our past one of the things i thought was interesting is the list of occupations mm. Uh, masons, farriers, assassins, mercers, cube, coopers, hoodwinkers, and plowmen. Uh, so, so obviously, hoodwinkers. What's a hoodwinker? I didn't look hoodwinker up. I assumed hoodwinker was probably something to do with birds because that's mm-hmm. where the word hoodwink uh. comes from. So yeah, so hoodwinkers I didn't look up. It was mercers and coopers that I hadn't heard as occupations at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, mercers were cloth merchants. Ooh. 
and Cooper's uh, worked repairing barrels. Hmm. I didn't, I was, um, because I had a bunch of uh, editing on a script, I didn't check out the full etymology of both. Yeah, I was about to say, like a hen coop. I wonder if a hen coop's like a hen barrel or whether like a barrel is like a beer coop. (laughs) They've both got Latin origins, was as far as I got. And then I realized I was going down a rabbit hole and I stopped. Right, yes. Because I was only on page 15 of the book. (laughs) Yes. We're learning. Answers, as always, readers, on an albatross. To our castle full of snacks, which we haven't got yet, guys. I'm so hungry. Readers. I'm so hungry and not in a castle. I'm so not in a castle. Actually, one of our lovely listeners on Twitter did link us to a really nice looking castle that I feel like we should just go and see if we can record an episode in. Oh, what's the budget? Oh, wait, we can't have the castle. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was like one of those French chateaux that come up occasionally for three francs. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. Place in the country. Here, this is slightly outside your budget. Massive Scottish castle for a weirdly low price because the wall's falling off. Bit of a fixer-upper. Also, it's haunted. And haunted. (laughs) But look at all the room for snacks. And if you go with this mortgage deal, then they do throw in an exorcism with the valuation. (laughs) Um, Oh, yeah, so talking about the whole series kind of this is where it starts really coming into its own and it's all the building blocks are there footnotes are another big one oh yeah we start getting more and more footnotes throughout the book and they're all really silly interesting world building facty footnotes which are my favorite kind read me one um we've talked before about how light's described and it's slow and it's she always gets a lovely description i tried to keep one out of this episode uh, practically anything can go faster than disc light which is lazy and tame unlike ordinary light the only thing known to go faster than ordinary light is monarchy according to the philosopher light in Weedle. he reasoned like this you can't have more than one king and tradition demands that there is no gap between kings so when a king dies the succession must therefore pass the hair instantaneously presumably he said there must be some elementary particles kingons or possibly quions that do this job but of course a succession sometimes fails if in mid-flight they strike an antiparticle or republicon <laughs> his ambitious plans to use his discovery to send messages involving the careful torturing of a small king in order to modulate the signal were never fully expounded because at that point the bar closed it just gets stupider and stupider and stupider until that. It almost feels like a test of like, I'm going to see how long someone sticks with reading. Because people yeah. don't always read footnotes. There are people that don't read footnotes. What? I don't know how much. I think Pratchett, like the Discord books are well known enough for the footnotes that people read them. But there are people who just in books like, like don't read footnotes. What if you miss something? It's like, um, have you ever actually read The Princess Bride? No. Oh, God. It's amazing. But Is it? genuinely like i know the film is so hyped but the book is really good the reason the book is so good is you know in the film it uses like a framing device of an old dude reading a book to a kid Mm -hmm. so the idea in the book is that someone had this book read to him as a kid by his father yeah sought out a copy of it Mm -hmm. like this the person writing william goldman sought out a copy of it and found that actually it's incredibly long and dull and dry and about history and his father was truncating it and just putting the story so the released book is just full of all these oh i cut this bit it's really dull all of these interjections huh. um and it's really funny it makes it a much better cleverer book i mean it's by william goldman who's like an amazing screenwriter as well and yeah and obviously he made all this stuff up like he just wrote the whole thing it's not truncated from a actual yeah. old history yeah, yeah okay that does sound good i might try and read that then but i had someone who i lent it to and she skipped all the bits in italics and i was like but the, they're why it's good yeah, I love. I don't love the Princess. Bro- I mean, okay, the the movie's great. Whatever, Dread Pirate, Pirate Roberts is hot, 
but I deeply love The Princess Bride as a book because it's so... You had too many sexual awakenings for one girl. <sighs> I'm not going to continue this thread any longer. <laughs> well, I had to do it for all of the genders I've decided to give up on. <laughs> There's so many. And yet also none. Schrodinger's gender. Right. The monarchy thing... Yeah, I just sorry. listened to quite an interesting episode of The Omnibus, which is a podcast, I guess. I'm not going to recommend to you because you just get angry now, but it's really There's good. So it's got John podcasts, Roderick. Um, uh, but they did an episode on London Bridge Has Fallen. Do you know what that means? Uh, it is the like media code for oh, when the queen, the queen dies. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so basically they just went through all the things that will happen when the queen dies. And it's I read a Guardian long read on that. Oh, did you? Oh, like cool, cool. Yeah. yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, it is. Like Prince Charles or then King Charles immediately will have to, like the day after his mum dies, go out and do a million meet and greets. And, like, yeah. yeah, it sucks. Shake hands and... Mm-hmm. God, it's ridiculous. Monarchy's... Uh, weird. Yeah, weird. Yeah, for a proper lefty, I'm not as Republican as I should be just because I find it so fucking interesting. I find it weirdly fascinating. I love... I love arcane and archaic and... It, Stupid rules. Yeah, as long as they don't apply to me. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, tangents. Less tangent. This is a depressing one, actually. Oh. Um, oh, yeah, no. Oh, do we have to? Just, just... Let's go quickly. <laughs> Death notices someone basically throwing a bag of cats in the river and he goes to the bag and, and he sends the kittens very gently off to their rest. And it's very sad. It, it's so early in the book. It's page 27 in my copy. Mm-hmm. The amount that does to humanise this anthropomorphic personification, yeah, who is meant to be emotionless, who constantly says, no, there's no justice, it's just me, mm-hmm. and give him a moment of getting very angry at something needlessly cruel, yeah, I think is a really, really wonderful way to build this character who is meant to not care and who does really yeah. find himself caring quite often. And it's very human in more than one way because I think... A lot, a lot of us, and I've heard it say this is a particular phenomenon in England, but I, th- I think a, a worldwide it's quite difficult to maintain a base level of empathy for all the horrible things that are happening in the world. Because there's just so much. Yeah, exactly. And yet when you hear about one case of animal cruelty or something, that's what makes you break down and cry. And it's like the representation of the horrible yeah. cruelty and... What like humans are capable of? on innocence that goes on all over the place and it's, it's, it's just it's distilled when it's a, an animal who can't understand what's going on and what, what yeah like yeah and i think yeah so i hate this bit of the book and it's very good i hate it but it is very good and i like that death has this ongoing relationship with cats yeah. like cats can see him yeah and generally they're very nice about it and, and there's a very respectful relationship between death and cats yeah yeah, mutual respect going on. Yes, it's very politely nodding to each other in a way where it doesn't <laughs> horrifically anthropomorphize the cats. Yeah, cats are cats. Yeah, they're not cute and... Pratchett writes cats very well. Yeah. And I can't wait to get to the one book where Cat Pratchett really writes cats well. I've got to stop talking Which is about... Great. No, uh, Amazing Morris. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I believe you. And I believe lots of interesting things because it's an interesting book that uses power of belief as a theme again. Segway. Oh, nice. I thought you were going to go into that Neil Gaiman monologue there. 
I, I believe, believe in I can believe in things that are true and things that aren't true and I can believe in things where nobody knows if they're true or not. Listen, I can believe in Elvis and the Easter Bunny and Santa and fuck. I can believe in a horse at the top of a tower. <laughs> I used to be able to do the whole speech, but it's, I think it's got finally strolled out of my brain. I might relearn it. Uh-huh. Tell me about the thing you like. Oh yeah, horse in a tower. It's just this fun little conversation. This is when they're in there. Uh, they've gone to the party to kill the king. Mm-hmm. Or not kill the king, but supervise his death, I yeah. suppose. Supervise, I like that. And... Um, Mort's asking, like, won't people notice there's a death on top of the castle? It's like, and people don't want to see it because, of course, it, it couldn't be a horse at the top of the tower. So why would you see a horse at the top of the tower? Exactly, yeah. And I like, like, we've talked so much about Pratchett playing with the theme of belief and it comes back again and again in mm-hmm. so many books. Mm-hmm. But what he does with it here, where the things that theoretically aren't real become so much more solid and real. Yeah. Like, realer than reality. Which is more of a theme as we get onto part two and three of the book. Sorry, swords. Kings get the sword. That is the royal prerogative, not the scythe, as Death mentions while getting his sword out to kill the king. Also, there's a bunch of history around this, isn't there? Like uh, executions and who gets an axe and who gets a sword. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, so it differs by country and time period and all of that, obviously. Um, Hello. Uh, The one that came up most obviously when I was researching it, was uh, France. Yeah. Uh, before the invention of the guillotine, members of no- nobility were executed via axe or sword. Right. Which, in theory, was better than the commoner's death I- of hanging. Yeah. Uh, in reality, if you were hanged well with a big drop, you could die instantly. And if you were executed with a sharp thing that wasn't sharp enough, it could be extremely painful and take several chops, as uh, Mary Queen of Scots Yeah, that she was three out. chops, wasn't she? Mm-hmm. Uh, Anne Boleyn was sword. executed by a sword, which was uh, out of character... Um, Dignity... Like, yeah, granting of dignity by a husband, which I suppose we should put in perspective, was while he was having her killed. So. <laughs> but wasn't that also something to do with uh, you had to be, like, king or queen for a sword, uh, but if you were just royal, it had to be an axe. So Anne got the sword because she had been crowned as queen as well as marrying Henry VIII. I because... couldn't find anything along those lines. Oh, okay, um, maybe I I'm had... just massively misremembering. No, because you're not, because I've heard that before. Yeah. And I'm not sure if possibly that's just more obs- more obscure knowledge than the level I got to, or whether it's a nice narrative that yeah, it might got just be a fallacy. A yeah. I'm not quite sure. Um, we should probably put that in homework, or can someone else do that for me, please? Yeah, historians uh, <laughs> listening to the podcast, thanks. Um, yeah, so Amblin got beheaded with a sword. Um, but in, in France, anyway... Uh, after the latest revolution, I think, um, <laughs> having only one method of civil ex- execution was seen as like um, an expression of equality among citizens. So everyone got the guillotine from there oh, until cool. 1981. Which is when... the same year the first Star Wars movie came out. Great. No, no. Way to just... ruin my fact with Star Wars. Okay, no, no, Which no, was no, when sorry. the death sentence was finally outlawed in France. No, I, only because I remember like it's one of those weird things oh, in like history at the same pri- time yeah, period yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah. the last public execution by guillotine was the same year as star wars coming out yeah that is pretty weird actually yeah it's the same That's thing like good. oh what was it like queen cleopatra lived closer to now than when the pyramids were built yeah yeah um and woolly mammoths are a in couple there of our well. hugo and Teresa, some friends of ours own a fantastic book which i really want to get either a copy of that or a copy of something similar which is like a oh, i'm not sure even how to 
so it's like a lateral timeline kind of thing where you can like compare all oh. these things all these different civilizations and their kind of timelines are lined up on top of each other so you can say like because you know like uh the fucking what was it incas were around at the same or aztecs whichever was closest was around at the same time that oxford university was being founded and yeah because there was a whole thing about um uh in one of the history podcasts i listened to something about mayan tribes still practicing cannibalism into the 1800s and yeah uh, what was one of the other cool ones? I was oh yeah, so I was uh, that history podcast. You're dead to me. Had a really mm-hmm. interesting episode on Neanderthals the other day. Oh, with Tim Minchin, I've, yeah. I've got that lined up. Yeah, it's really good. But one of the interesting things they talked about was the history of Aboriginal culture mm. and the fact that there's evidence that there are these song cycles still sung today that talk of geography being so different that they must be at least fifteen thousand years old. What? Like this is this is the world's oldest civilization. Um. And the continual know, verbal history. Colonialism yeah, fucked it. Yeah. But potentially contemporary that. with Neanderthals still being a thing. Oh, that's mental. Um God isn't If we ever weird. do the Long Earth, which we really should at some point, the the trolls songs. Oh the, yeah. Yeah. And the different versions of humanity and anthropods and whatever. We should talk about the Long Earth at some oh, point, because I'm still not sure how I feel about them as books. I fucking love them so much. Um, but that's very much to do with my particular I love that kind of sci-fi and less to do with the, I love how this is written ex- explicitly although I do but yeah I love them but I love them less for the writing anyway sorry. anyway yeah yeah, yeah yeah tangent tangent and that's all I have to say about executing people with swords okay how do you feel about compassion rather than pleasure because that's in the notes and I don't remember writing it oh that's me sorry yeah okay I forgot to put F it's fine I just wanted to make sure I hadn't like accidentally reference Buffy again <laughs> well, what, what reference to Buffy would that have been? Jesus I don't know probably something to do with me wanting to bang Giles sorry. <laughs> anyway so Mort tries to save the king's life oh yeah. Because he does he's a nice boy. Yeah uh, and when he's kind of getting a very gentle ticking off from death afterwards says are you going to send me home and death reached down and swung him up behind the saddle because you showed compassion? No I might have done had you shown pleasure, but you must learn the compassion proper to your trade. Oh, um, yeah. But yeah, the idea that... Compassion is not something enjo- to be punished, yeah. but enjoying... Enduring something is not the same as enjoying something. Feeling compassion doesn't mean you have to act rea- in a reactionary way. Yeah. Um, it's very stoic. It's very, uh, very stoic way of looking at things, which death, I believe embodies quite well for lack of a better word uh, death embodies quite well and his relationship to compassion shifts throughout the book like Mm. we're talking about character growth but death goes through a whole arc in this book oh yeah yeah um and even gets his own flashes of villainy and Mm. for like i said for an emotionless anthropomorphic personification with no glands he gets very emotional very glandular what a glandular skeleton (laughs) um yeah i don't really have a lot to say about that but i figured it was a profound enough statement that it belonged in talking points rather than little bits. It is a beautiful thought. Mm. And also, you know, we were talking about uh, Mort and what makes him so special and why death picks him out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of it. Yeah. Is that he you can see that the boy's got the capacity for compassion and not cruelty. Mm-hmm. Because obviously, you know, for, again, meant to be emotionless, but not death is infuriated by cruelty mm-hmm. I mean, look at that moment with the kissings 
And I suppose says, it's like a, it's like more of, more of the same as the Volavant thing almost. It's like, yeah. why? You have so little time. Why would you spend it drowning kittens and making Volavants? Yeah, what's wrong with you? Why yeah. would you do this? Just why? Because, you know, you can see throughout the book that Death's kind of frustrated. He can't have his human life. Yeah. Or he can't have a human life because he's this eternal, immortal, outside of the yeah. world being. And you and you can see it with him getting frustrated at humans that they have these opportunities and this is what they freaking do with it. Yeah. Oh, aren't we a terrible, terrible species? God, we're awful. Burn us all. Yay, COVID-19. Sorry. We'll stop wishing for a plague now. I, I still, still want to immortality. Yeah, no, okay, fine. You can have immortality and I will join you. Yay. I will make volivants. Yeah. Because we'll have all pastry, of time. Pastry, pastry, pastry. You'll have all of time for you to finally teach me how to make puff pastry. Yay. Fuck, I don't know if I've got the patience. <laughs> I barely have the patience Ouch. to make puff pastry. That's why I buy it. Um, okay, cool. Talking of food. Yeah, talking of food. <laughs> talking of food. Clatchian interlude. So this is um, more interrupting the Clatchian family's dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, and pretending to be a demon, and they're sort of trying to work out yeah. like, do we feed you? Do we like? Or being mistaken at for a demon, I think, rather than pretending to be one at first. Yes, spawn of offler's loins. <laughs> I love the word loins. So basically, he appears for a wall in a magicy fashion, and the family in there think he's a demon. Yes, and they really want to feed him, and they're the you know dishing out their offerings, and the husband then sells him the patrician's champion racehorse. <laughs> Um, but I think this is, again, we keep going back to this whole thing of this book being such a big building block for what the disc world becomes mm. is building the other cultures around the disc. Yeah. Where like in the first two books, especially whenever we visit anywhere outside of Ankh-Morpork, it's kind of piss take generic fancy locations that don't come back again. Crack. We, I think we talked about Clatch and how mm-hmm. it's a sort of silly made up thing. We yeah. vi- go to Krull and the Great Neff and yeah. There's sort of a couple of things, but this is like, okay, Clatch is another country and it's close enough to have immigration with Ankh-Morpork. Yeah. Which, um, and it has echoes of the Middle East and... And a certain type of food and mm-hmm. a certain type of culture, a certain system of belief. Mm-hmm. And this idea of wanting to return to the old country. Yeah. And not having to um, work as waiters for Wicked Masters. Yeah. And then, and obviously, the, there's the round world parallels to that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and and there's a couple of other cultures we meet later on in the book that again set up for books down the line. Yeah, like this Clatchian stuff has huge payoffs later on. Mm. But just the fact that mm. he's thinking about it as a whole world and not just as a bunch of fantasy yeah. allegories. You can like, it's it's like the the engine stuttered for the first few books, and now now you the chainsaw's running. Like. Yeah, you can see it rolling. <laughs> yeah, which is where like. Maybe when we talk about sorcery, I'll get a bit frustrated because I think it, I, I feel like it goes back a bit. But that's with not the book we're on. No. But I can see what you mean already by saying that. Um, I think that was all I really had for this section. Okay, cool. Um, But yeah, I, I really enjoyed coming back to the book. I did. And I'm looking forward to reading the rest of it. Genuinely am. Um, oh, it's a good one. Oh, it is a good one. So let's finish with an obscure reference. Have um, you got an obscure reference, Finial? I do, I do. Uh, glacial erratics. All right, let's go with band name. Glacial <laughs> yeah. erratics. Glaci- glacial erratics. What are glacial erratics, Francine? Well, 
Death says that Stolak Castle is on top of a rock left by a retreating glacier. Mm-hmm. On Roundworld, these are called glacial erratics, ah. uh, which is a fantastic name. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, as most of us know, I guess, uh, the Ice Age covered a good portion of the world, which is now not ice, in ice. Yes. And as those glaciers came forward and then retreated, you they carved... And- bits through the earth and they left bits of rock where they shouldn't be and that's why we like going generally confused and stuff. the mammoths yes um and yeah one of those in this case would have been stolat castle and glaciers on Discworld are kind of driven by giants and in this world oh, oh yes, i don't know i've never seen giants. a glacier driven maybe, maybe it's driven by giants as well But yeah, there's a few famous ones. Uh, There's an erratic in Alberta, Canada, known as Big Rock, which claims to be the biggest, but isn't. Inventive. Yep. Um, (laughs) That's why I mentioned it. Okay, so is the actual biggest one called Bigger Rock? No. Oh. The biggest one I could find note of is called Cooking Lake, brackets, number six, mega block, which is the name of my first indie album. (laughs) Cool. Cool. And there's another one in Germany that might be bigger, but... um, the mega block one covers an area of at least four square miles. Jesus. Uh, so at first I was thinking perhaps this Stolat one was like like overblown over the top because it's but like, giants no, they were that But big. no, yeah, they could get that big. Yeah. Um, and also it's a fun chance to mention there's a nearby village to us which has a big boulder in the village green, which is known as the that village name Rock. Because we live in Suffolk, which is very flat and very non-rocky. And so, like, a few hundred years ago, these villagers found this, what I imagine is a glacial erratic, I'm guessing. And we're like, wow, that's a big rock. And put it in their village green. And, like, it's on the village sign and everything. Big stupid rocks. Big stupid rocks, yeah. Uh, Suffolk. Fucking Suffolk. Suffolk I get so sick of Suffolk sometimes. (laughs) It is such a ridiculously flat county. And I still haven't found a flint with a hole in it. Have you not? No. I've been walking around kicking flints for months now, this lovely dog, and I still haven't found my my lucky flint with a hole in. Ooh. It'll be a happy day when I do. It's nearly wild garlic season. Oh, it is wild garlic season, I'll tell you for that, because the whole fucking footpath smells like garlic. Brilliant, right? Going foraging? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Have you noticed, have you actually seen... No, but I can smell it. I can smell it. It, 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 It'll be just in... Into the wood bit that I don't go into. Yeah. Okay, cool. I might um, so back the back of Farnham Court School. Oh, be that whole bit. Yeah. So yeah. like the very outskirts of Vicwoods and the the Ballantine Hotel and that kind of bit. Yeah. Cool. I might next time I've got a day off go for a walk. Sorry, this is like uh, Hard- Hardwick Heath had a really good crop last year. I haven't been up there for a couple of weeks. But... There's like a little patch up the river, uh, my old running route. Mm-hmm. Um, that, but I don't know how much is still there. Mm-hmm. Um, which bit's good to eat? You can kind of eat the whole thing if you're careful and wash it, but I'm not going to give super advice on the podcast until I've checked because I didn't go pick any last year, so it's been like two years since I've actually cooked with okay, it. Okay, cool. I've got a whole like foraging book in the. Yeah, we should like learn how to forage properly this summer so that come the apocalypse we have pastry and vegetables. Yeah, that's a good idea. Okay, awesome. Cool. Right, so I, yeah, think that's... I think that's basically it. Yeah, yeah, I think we've. Why have I just written queer domain? I don't know. <laughs> That wasn't. I don't think that had anything to do with what we were talking about. So okay, I've got no idea why I wrote down queer domain. I think maybe it was a description of something, and you liked the idea of it, and that's your gay bar. No, queer eye doing death's domain. Oh yeah, <laughs> queer domain. Sorry, title of your sex tape. There we go. I'm totally queer eye <laughs> domain. That's better. 
<laughs> I'm totally going to know what that means. Queer Domain is a really good gay bar name, right? Oh my god, yeah. Let's open a gay bar. Post-apocalypse. Post-apocalypse gay bar. Yay! Yay. Right, okay. Um, outro, please Should do I do an outro? outro? Do. I'm so hungry and tired. I'm so sorry, Francine. I don't know why I'm it's apologizing. Not, it's not I, you. I, it's that I, microphone. It's that fucking microphone. I oh, got yeah, through okay, like a right. whole episode without invoice, apologizing. Invoice. No, you didn't. Um, I apologized less. Yeah, you did. You did apologize less. Invoice, mic, order. Right, I need to do those things before I go to sleep. Okay, great. Right. Thank you for listening to The Two Shall Make You Fret. You're welcome. <laughs> Francine, you're not listening yet. <laughs> you're looking at me. <laughs> Sorry, should I address the outro to the dog's one ear that's on alert? Yeah. Thank you for listening to The Truth Shall Make You Fret. We'll be back next week with part two of a discussion on Mort, which will take us from, in the original paperback, page 75 to page 179. Uh, So this section starts with, By myself, said Mort. Certainly. I have every faith in you. See, I've been trying really hard to not quote death. And ends with death saying, I must be sickening for something. Uh-huh. Uh, so that'll be part two. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at The Tree Shall Make You Fret. You can find us on Twitter at Make You Fret Pod. Follow us on Facebook at The Tree Shall Make You Fret. Or you can email us with your thoughts, queries, castle snacks, and albatrosses at The Truth Shall Make You Fret Pod at gmail.com. Please remember to rate and review us because it helps other people find the podcast. Um, okay, cool. So, so thank you very social much. Social media might happen again one day. If it doesn't, maybe prod Joanna, make sure she's okay. Um, I will, I will. I've just had a busy week. Right. Ah. Sorry. <laughs> I'm trying enthusiasm. I'm so tired. <laughs> and with that. And with that, dear listeners, don't let us detain you. Pasta. Curry. What are we going to eat? Oh, the world is our mollusk. Mollusks? Can we stop recording? (laughs)